The Truth News Network. On every continent, in every capital, at colleges, universities, wherever solid thinking stands against the tides of insanity, there is one voice, a beacon, a light in the murkiness of political swill. From TNN, the Truth News Network, comes that voice, Dan Newman. I'm not sure I'm a beacon, but if I'm going to be a beacon, I want to be a beacon of light. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friday. Welcome to TNN Live. Man, we have a show for you today. Much information to get into. It just seems like later in the week you get every week. More and more really critical information piles up that you want to get out to everybody before the weekend begins so you can digest it and then maybe just kind of fly through the weekend and forget about the news because you got it all already. Well, speaking of weekend news, don't forget every Saturday we publish first thing in the morning. Grab that cup of coffee and go to truthnewsnet.org and check out our bullet points. We want to make sure you don't miss any big story during the week. So we collect the 10 to 15 biggest ones and we publish those in bullet point format. That means you'll get with each bullet point, you'll get a couple of descriptive sentences. And if you want complete details of full story, you just click on the little blue arrow at the end of those descriptive sentences and it'll take you to a full story. If you've already heard about it, you don't want any more info, just skip down to the next one. We respect your time, especially on the weekend, but it's a good way to get caught up, stay caught up, and make sure you don't miss any important things. So what's on the slate for the show this morning? Congressman Mike Johnson from the 4th Congressional District of Louisiana joins us at the bottom of the hour, maybe a few minutes before. He's on a short fuse with meetings this week. And uh, he called me last night and asked if we could move it up from the second hour to the first hour. I hope nobody that is planning on coming just for the second hour misses this. But if so, as always, all of our shows are captured and are uploaded minutes after the live show is over every day at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, iHeart Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and even Facebook through the end of this month. And we were notified early this week that Facebook is going to turn the switch off on our podcast that we post after we do it there on my Facebook page. That is no surprise. So what big do we have that we need to get out of the way before Congressman Johnson joins us? Well, I mean, everything we have, including him being here, everything we have are important items for you. But if you haven't been to the homepage today of truthnewsnet.org. We published a story today about 2,000 mules. And we told you a little bit about it, um, but it's a full story. There was a, a uh, pi- private screaming, screening, not screaming, a private screening of the show this week on Wednesday, and I was able to take it in. And um, I just got to be honest with you. I remember shortly after the 2020 election, Mike Lindell, Mr. My Pillow Guy, you know him. He uh, he spent a lot of his own money, and uh, he and some compadres did some very exhaustive research, and discovered there was documented, verifiable voter fraud in 2020. It was a really great 
put together project, but it was really detailed and hard to follow. And what made it bad, I guess if you could say it was bad, it did have a lot of hardcore evidence included in it that showed voter fraud in 2020. Later, some of the sources were discredited that he had relied on for the content for that documentary. 2,000 Mules, folks. It documents real research from True the Vote. That's a conservative election intelligence organization that has compiled evidence of organized ballot harvesting in at least six states, Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Texas. And I'll just give you a couple of examples here. In Georgia, for one, True the Vote, which has no ties to any politicians, uh, to any of the, the guys that we expect to look into these things, they were formed years ago, and they had been working for years helping localities and states clear up their voter registration rolls. Well, anyway, True the Vote alleges there were 242 traffickers. Traffickers. They made 5,662 trips to ballot drop boxes between the early morning hours of midnight and 5 a.m. and unloading hundreds of thousands of illegally harvested ballots over the course of several weeks in the run-up to the 2020 general election. Those states showed more illegal votes from this strategy alone than was Biden's winning margin. Now, all of this is based on True the Vote's high bar in defining what a mule is. These people that were traffickers, they they dubbed them mules, i.e. the title of the documentary, 2,000 Mules. And each of them took at least 10 visits to drop boxes. If the bar is lowered to count those making at least just five visits, the estimated effective vote increased by more than double. Writer and director Dinesh D'Souza, who had been relatively silent on election fraud until this year, said he was swayed by the thoroughness of the data that they presented to him, the fact that it was enough to tip the election, and systematic, comprehensive, well-presented enough to convince any reasonable person. So true the, 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 the votes. They are the ones that picked this whole thing up. Charlie Kirk, he's in this thing as an interviewer, and also at the front end of it, he appears on a panel before they ever unrolled any of the facts to this group of people on this panel about what True the Vote found when they began to dig into this. Charlie Kirk interviews D'Souza, and D'Souza gave background information about the operation. Here's a quote. True the Vote has done their work in all these key states. They focused on the heavily Democrat areas of Fulton County, Georgia, that's Atlanta, Maricopa County, Arizona, that's Phoenix, the Detroit area area of Michigan, Milwaukee and Wisconsin, and the greater Philadelphia area in Pennsylvania. So what they did, I'll try to give you a quick synopsis. They gathered both geo-tracking, that cell phone tracking data, and video surveillance, and I think this is the coolest thing. They actually found out and realized that almost every ballot box that was put out was monitored by a camera. And they, through FOIA investigations, which FOIA is a Freedom of Information Act 
request for public information, they captured 4 million feet of video of these strategically located ballot boxes in these big cities. This is really crazy. And then that geo-trafficking, cell phone data, and video surveillance, true the vote captured ballot trafficking activity by these 2,000 mules in six states. These were paid vote couriers, and they visited these drop boxes late at night. They used gloves to conceal their fingerprints. They took photos to secure their payment they put in these ballot boxes because that's how they got paid and made multiple trips to multiple drop boxes over multiple weeks. So, D'Souza points out that the traffickers began wearing gloves just days after a ballot harvesting case in Arizona got indictments based on fingerprint evidence. There's no question in any of these states that we witnessed illegal activity, even in areas where vote harvesting was temporarily allowed. In not one area was it legal to be paid to deliver votes. Many of these mules are coming from nonprofit centers, which are those 501c3 charitable organizations, which means because of that, they're tax-free organizations, tax-exempt. That means they cannot legally get involved in any election activities. These are people that have a tax exemption from the IRS conditioned upon them not getting directly involved in electioneering. And you're seeing a coordinated ring of corruption and the evidence for it's decisive, I promise you. I watched it myself. My jaw stayed dropped for an hour and 40 minutes. Charlie Kirk later, he noted that a number of the nonprofits were closely aligned with Stacey Abrams. So despite the extensiveness of the evidence, True the Vote, by the way, has 27 terabytes of data, including those 4 million minutes of video, 10 trillion cell phone pings, again obtained legally, as well as one whistleblower's confession, which is part of the documentary. The left-stream media has been dead silent. I think this is going to be huge and make a huge difference, but it begins with simply getting the truth out there so that what happened in 2020 becomes undeniable so it doesn't happen ever again. So I'm not going to go deep into it. I want to refer you to that story and also tell you, you can yourself this weekend access 2,000 Mules. It'll be showing around the nation in select theaters, but you'll be able to go on 2,000 Mules website and you will be able to watch it by downloading it there. There is a fee. Let me scroll down in the story. More of the details are down there. Let's see. Digital downloads are available on Saturday. You'll be able to stream the film from two different platforms. SalemNow.com. That's S-A-L-E-M Now.com. And Rumble slash Locals. And you can get all this information on their website. Digital number. 2000mules.com. 2000mules.com. Now let me stop right there. We're not going to do any more about this, but I want to point back to what happened, I think it was in September, 
a couple of months before the election in 2020. You know, Democrat Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, every Thursday she has a Nancy Pelosi press conference. And on one particular Thursday, the people in the room, the media folks in the room, begin to drill her pretty heavily about Joe Biden and his campaign representing the Democrat Party and his run for president. You'll remember how vacant he was on the campaign trail. He hardly ever did any rallies, and when he did, there were hardly any people there. And he was very uh, vapid when it came to press conferences. And we all know even better now why that was. He wasn't in any position to be able to be propped up and do a good press briefing. And a press conference, oh my gosh. Look at him as president. Look at the results. Look what people around the world are seeing about the president of the United States. And I'll never forget, I happen, I don't usually watch those, but I happened to be doing some research or whatever in the studio, and I happened to watch a part of it. And when this, this particular thing got this really loud and in her face during this Thursday press briefing, she, as only Nancy Pelosi can do, she shut them up and pointed her finger, and I'm going to paraphrase what she said, but it struck me to my core when I heard her say this. No matter what you people think, I guarantee you on January 20th of 2021, we will inaugurate Joe Biden as the 46th president of the United States. And it shocked me. I mean, believe me, politicians, it's never uncommon for them to make these kind of predictions. But for the Speaker of the House, in light of everything that was going on in the campaign trail and everything that Americans were seeing for themselves, I thought, how in the world can she be so demonstrative and positive in claiming that? Because all everybody is seeing out there was Joe Biden didn't stand a chance. And the polls pretty much agreed. It was very close, neck and neck in the polls, which typically means you can tip one of those uh, polls like that that come out that show maybe even a slight lead for a Democrat or progressive. Typically what happens is conservatives, registered Republicans, are not that outgoing when they're contacted to give information in a telephone poll. It's been the case for decades. So even when they look like they're close, even tied sometimes with a Democrat with a slight lead over a conservative, it typically means more people are voting or supporting that conservative than they are the Democrat. But it wasn't even close in most cases. I'll never forget also um, when former President Barack Obama gave his very first campaign speech supporting his former vice president, it happened out in the middle of a, a lot, I mean a really big parking lot. I don't remember exactly where it was, but they had this massive staging set up and it was open all around for cars to come in and park in this parking lot, and the staging was right in the middle of this massive rally. It had to be at a place like an NFL stadium or something like that, and I, I, sh- I should remember exactly where it was, but I don't. But somebody got the bright idea to fly a drone to the run-up of this campaign event 
and even after the event started, and the drone went backwards out about maybe a half mile and then began to go or fly around all the way up until after this Barack Obama appearance for Joe Biden began. There were no people there. When I say no people, no cars, obviously there were some, but I would be willing to bet if we ever got an accurate number of the attendance to that Joe Biden, Barack Obama press event, there were less than 500 people there. And after seeing that, I knew something was up. Hold on just a second. We got a call coming in here. Hello there. Is this Congressman Johnson? We got it. Let me get you on here. Is that you, Congressman? Yeah, it is. It is. Good morning. How are you? How you doing? Good, good. We were just in a conversation about that documentary that came out this week, 2,000 Mules. Uh, no. You haven't seen it yet, right? I haven't, no, but I want to. It'll change. It, I don't know that it'll change your mind, but it will reveal a lot of things to you that you suspect. Nevertheless, yeah. we want to move away from that, and I want to say thank you for joining us today. I know you're on a short fuse. Um, how you doing? Well, <laughs> all things considered, we're doing okay. I I know you're really busy. And uh, first of all, let me say I appreciate everything you do. And by the way, before I forget about it, your podcast with your gorgeous bride, Kelly, it's amazing. You guys are really good on the air. I'm trying to channel my inner Dan Newman. Thank you. I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> no, I think you've got me beat. A lot of people don't know you've got a, late, a lot of radio time in your in your career. You're a professional. And it really shows up in these um, House committee meetings when you get to grill some of these people before the committee. You're by far, every time, the best of the bunch, I promise you. Well, thanks. I appreciate saying that. It means a lot coming from you. And you know, I was in the courts for 20 years before I got elected to Congress. And so, um, you know, that trial experience comes in handy. The, what people don't realize, a lot of people don't know, and in these House committees, it's so frustrating because you really only have five minutes to, to grill, a, you know, an agency head or to, to maintain oversight. So you've got to use the time really well, really effectively. And some of these uh, witnesses are experts at evading the, the answers, right? Mayorkas and uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland and the rest. And so you've got to go right to the heart of the matter and and uh, so that's what I try to do. You know what I hate the most about this is every time you guys ask one of them a, pres- uh, a question, they always start by saying that. Thank you for that question, Congressman Johnson. <laughs> every yeah, they're trying to run time. the clock out. That's, yeah. that's part of the strategy. Yeah. And Mayorkas is the best at doing that. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, too, people don't realize he was also a litigator. He was a U.S. attorney. And so he's had a lot of trial experience as well. This guy is not a novice. He knows how to avoid a question and run the clock out better than anybody. So well, you got to take that into account when you begin your time. Now that we've got his name on the table, why don't we start right there? Mm-hmm. Homeland Security, uh, were you shocked when they created this, this whatever they want to call that bureau, that board or whatever? Basically what it is to do is spy on the American people. But were you kind of surprised that happened? I'm, I'm not surprised by anything anymore, Dan, but it is certainly Orwellian, dystopian, I think blatantly unconstitutional, but the the so-called uh, disinformation governance board is a joke. It it should be killed right out of the blocks. We we I filed legislation on Tuesday to ensure that there's no federal funding that could support this. 
And, you know, we, we don't have the votes on the, on the Republican side to pass legislation, but I actually, I said in an interview about an hour ago on Newsmax, I'm actually optimistic about this legislation because a number of our Democrat friends are mumbling about this as well. Our colleagues on the other side, even some that, that self-describe as progressives, this even scares them, Dan, because it's so crazy. The government has no role in determining what is supposedly truth and what is acceptable speech? I mean, this is a blatant violation of our of our American jurisprudence and our Constitution. I think it'd be struck down in court, but we've got to stop it before it starts. Not to even mention anything about Jankovitz, who is the oh, hardcore leftist uh, Disney supporter activist <laughs> that they have chosen. Uh, we're going to play later in our show today uh, your, your compadre from Louisiana, Senator John Kennedy, when he... I guess two days ago, went nose-to-nose with Mayorkas, and he just ripped Mayorkas about this choice. He could not get Mayorkas to tell him who in Homeland Security hired her, and of course, Mayorkas, as you you mentioned, he is a uh, draw-it-out-and-dominate-time-to-run-out-the-clock-on-these-things, and And if it wasn't so crazy that they would even consider trying something like this and bury it in Homeland Security, but thought police basically is what we're talking about, an Orwellian project, and it's here in the United States. Who could believe that? Right, right. And, and he was, Kennedy was able to get out of Mayorkas at least uh, the admission that he had no idea supposedly about uh, Jankowitz's background and all the, all the disinformation that she has been infamous for online. I mean, this is a lady, okay. She, I think she's a 30-something, you know, she's very young, she's educated in, you know, Ivy League schools and completely uh, indoctrinated by the progressive left. She's, just by, by way of example, Dan, she uh, insisted that the Hunter Biden laptop uh, was a hoax, that that was, that was clearly false. And, and, and then at the same time, she said the Russian uh, collusion hoax, you know, with Donald Trump was the gospel truth. So she is now going to be in charge of determining what you and I say on the Internet, whether that's true or not. Give me a break. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. But her boss, he is the most incredible politician I've ever witnessed in my life. Alejandro Mayorkas, he is a master of disguise, of deflect and hide the facts. I cannot believe this man is running right now the greatest invasion in your lifetime and mine of illegals coming into our nation and getting free passes getting here. What is going on with this? He's gleeful about it. And and the reason my questioning of him a week or so ago uh, went viral is because I told him directly what so many of our friends in Louisiana, my constituents believe, and so many people, millions of people around the country, this guy's got to go. And I told him he needs to resign. I called for his resignation last summer when he had only been in office a few months and it became readily apparent that he's either unable or unwilling to do his job. The Secretary of Homeland Security, I mean, the, the, the intention, the mission of that job is right there in the title. Keep the homeland secure. This guy doesn't care about that. He's, he's making decisions and, and he's creating policies that, that bring about exactly the opposite result. And so I told him in the hearing last week, Dan, I said, sir, my advice to you, you, you begin looking for uh, opportunities in a new career field because we are going to retake the majority in November for the Republican side. And I believe what he's done is impeachable. These are impeachable offenses. And, and uh, he will be the first name that I bring up that we've got to get rid of. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I gave him the uh, gentleman's notice to get ready and start packing his bags because it will happen soon enough. I know this is very far in advance, and this was not on the agenda that 
uh, was emailed to me for us to discuss. But I've got to ask you this. Are we going to regain the House? Absolutely, yeah. So what we know right now, there's a number of factors that indicate that this will happen. Let's just put all of the crazy Biden, progressive, left, Democrat policies aside. Let's just put that aside for a moment. Just historically speaking, you know, the first mid the midterm election of a president, anytime a president takes the Oval Office, that first two year cycle that comes up for the House after that uh, president uh, takes office, um, the, the historical average is, they, they, is that they lose 29 to 30 something seats for their for their party. People become disenchanted pretty, pretty quickly and they give the reins of power back to the other team. So that's the historical trend. On top of that, you this this time around, we had redistricting, of course, that all the states have gone through. Some are still going through it. Um, but because we had a good election cycle in 2020, the Republicans won control of the majority of the state legislatures. That's where the lines were drawn. Some of the litigation will ultimately determine this. But all in all, it was either a draw or we believe a slight advantage for the Republicans through the redistricting process. But on top of that, look at the policies, right? Every single thing that Joe Biden and the Democrats have touched has become a crisis, Every a crisis or a catastrophe, everything. I mean, you, you name it, any area of policy from foreign policy to energy policy to crime, the border, I mean, just go the economy, of course, inflation, everything, it's marked by incompetence. And the people, the American people see now that elections really do have direct consequences for them in their pocketbook and their security and their opportunity, their future. And they're going to let their voices be heard. There is a restlessness in the country right now. And not, not because of that, all the pollsters, not only on the right, but the left and center now expect that this will be a shellacking. You hear the, the phrase red wave. I think it's going to be a red tsunami. And some people are projecting, I'm not going wood as I tell you this, Dan, that the Republicans, we may win a 50 or 60 seat majority in the House. Um, that will be a sea change for the country and a great thing for us, and we'll be able to fix a lot of this mess. Of course, we'll keep our fingers crossed for that. We just need control. But let me ask you this. We, looking back at that that election where, um, I guess it was, it was a midterm, where we retook the House, and I think Paul Ryan was the um, Speaker of the House then. That first two years of Donald Trump's administration, everybody felt like there was going to be a landslide of conservative uh, ideals and laws passed during that first two years, he couldn't get it done. A large portion of it, he couldn't get it done. I think it was because of the politicking. I don't know. But a lot of conservatives are afraid that even if you get the House back with such a, a huge majority, that it's going to be kind of the same thing again. And of course, he'll still be president, Biden. And you know, he's not going to sign any of those bills that get passed in the House and the Senate that are against all of their ideals. Will we have an opportunity to turn it around pretty quickly or at least get started on that with a House majority? Yes, yeah, such a great question, an important one. And, and when I'm in a town hall setting or this, this week I was out with big Republican groups, community groups, I, I have a longer time to unpack and explain this. But what you said is exactly right. So I was there for that, right? Um, when I came in, I took office in January 2017 when Donald Trump did, when the president did um, that same month. And we did have Republican majorities in the House and the Senate and, and, and of course, the President Trump in the White House. What happened? Why were we not uh, successful right out of the blocks? Well, if you remember the history of the time, no one thought Donald Trump was actually going to win. I mean, he did, and maybe three or four other people. <laughs> maybe you did, Dan, but everybody else thought Hillary Clinton was going to be the president, right? And so when he won, it sent a shockwave across Capitol Hill and throughout the swamp, which was good and, and was, was much needed. 
of course, I was on the Trump team and early on, and we worked hard to get things done. But it was such an unsettling moment that, to be very frank, Paul Ryan and the House and Mitch McConnell in the Senate, they were not ready to govern. They did not have the playbook prepared to take the field because they did not believe that they would have a Republican president in the White House. So it took three or four months to get the for the dust to settle, basically. If you remember, we fumbled the ball on the repeal and replace of Obamacare. Remember yes. John McCain famously turned his thumb down? Yep. All that happened because, uh, frankly, the, the, the team was not ready to take the field. I'm, you know, we're from Louisiana, Dan, so everything's either a hurricane or a football metaphor. So <laughs> I have to ask my audiences to forgive me, but let's go with the football metaphor here. This time is going to be different. And I'm going to tell you why, because everybody learned some, some very difficult lessons at that point. Right now, we've had time to prepare because we have been in the minority now for a couple of years. Um, the playbook is ready. We're preparing the players. We're going to have a bunch of new team members, of course, after this election cycle, you know, maybe have 30 or 40 new, new Republicans in the House. But I'm going to be in charge of new member orientation. OK, I'm the vice chairman of the House Republicans, and I've been working deliberately with my colleagues, Scalise McCarthy and everybody, uh, preparing this very deliberately so that we get these players on the field. They know what plays they're going to run, what position they're going to be in. And yes, uh, you know, the Democrats will still be in the White House for those first two years for two more years after the election. But um, we're going to be doing a lot of oversight. We're going to be holding them accountable, and we're going to send a ton of legislation to the president's desk and dare him to veto it. And here's the big question that none of us know the answer to right now. Will Joe Biden read the tea leaves? Will he revert to his original form, which was much more moderate than he is today? And will he be like Bill Clinton was in the 90s? You know, When Newt Gingrich and the team had the big wave election and they did the contract with America and all that, uh, Bill Clinton moderated his views. He decided he might want to be a president that gets a few things done. So they did some welfare reform and some meaningful things, and he was willing to work with the Republicans. Will Joe Biden do that, or will he will he dig in his heels, bow to the radical progressive left, and maintain his position? If he does, and whatever happens, it leads to a cataclysmic event, the presidential election of 2024, and Katie barred the door. We have no idea what's going to happen. I know you remember this, James Carville, our federal fellow Louisianian, when it came up time and Bill Clinton was running for re-election and he had the Monica Lewinsky scandal over him, Carville was in the campaign advisory situation there with Bill Clinton. I'll never forget him saying it, that they were hammering Clinton about Lewinsky, the media was, and Carville's famous saying, it's the money, stupid, it's yeah. the money. Americans were hurting financially and that was sufficient, good enough for Clinton to get reelected. But as you said, he knew he had to make some changes and work with the other guys. And he did. Mm -hmm. His second term was far more successful than was his first term. Uh, I hope what you say and what you believe is true because we're in deep trouble right now. I've never seen this. Um, I know you're short on time. I want to let you go. But what I want to make sure we cover here is your sense, your feeling about this mess that is happening in the Biden administration regarding this leak of Justice uh, Alito's determination on the Roe v. thing being overturned and what's happened, and it actually looks like it's even being partially at least coordinated with Democrat leadership, they're going after. They are literally going after. It's like putting a bullseye, drawing a bullseye on the foreheads of these conservative justices in the Supreme Court. And DOJ and the White House are doing nothing but actually kind of benignly okaying these people going after these justices. It, it is outrageous. It is, it is dangerous. It's corrosive to our system and our institutions. And 
it's unbelievable that the president is an accomplice in this and and schumer and pelosi and all the rest of them they need to be called out on it listen our system of justice depends upon the independence of the judiciary right the idea that they would be hunted down that they would send protesters and some of them with violent uh, designs and ideas in their heads to go to the homes of the justices this is this is unbelievable stuff. I've known Amy Coney Barrett since we were in high school. She's been a dear friend, right? She has young children, you know? I mean, she still has kids at home. They're going to send these people to her house? You know, uh, yesterday, Senator Cornyn and and um, actually in a, in a bipartisan bill, they filed a bill in the Senate to provide uh, 24-7 uh, you know, Secret Service security for the justices now, for they and their families for the, for the extended time period. They put up a 12-foot fence around the Supreme Court building. I mean, this is getting out of hand. If we cannot allow the third branch of government, the judiciary, to operate independently, to do its deliberation, and to to you know apply the Constitution, uh, then we're in real trouble. And the, and the greatest problem with this, the biggest hypocrisy about all of it, Dan, is that you know for a year and a half, two years, all we've heard from Pelosi, Schumer, and the rest of them is save our democracy, save our institutions. I mean, breathlessly every speech. <laughs> that's all we hear, you know. And now, if they don't get the outcome they want. They just want to burn it down. I mean, this is this is so telling. It gives you a moment of, of clarity and lucidity about who they really are. It's un-American, it's dangerous, and it's toxic, and, and, and I don't know what else to say about it. I don't know where we're going, Congressman, but you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. We've got to trust God that he's going to guide the people that are pulling the triggers on all of these things that are necessary for this mm-hmm. ship to get righted because— we're in deep trouble. I have never seen anything like this before. No, we're to, to switch to our hurricane metaphor, we're in uncharted waters <laughs> in choppy seas, right? Yeah. But here's the thing. We know who the ultimate guide is, and you're exactly right. Ronald Reagan said that we are the last best hope of man on earth because we, we are a nation under God. If we ever forget him, we'll be a nation gone under. God is still sovereign. He's still in control, and there is no better model. For those who think that they're disenchanted with America, hey, guess what? This is the best, <laughs> and it always will be. This We are the last bulwark of freedom. We have to fix it. We have to preserve it. But I have confidence, as Reagan did in the American people, Dan. I believe people are waking up. I believe that's why we're going to have a big red tsunami election, and I think they're going to give the ball back to us and expect us to run it up the field, and we'll be ready. And, and I think we'll be able to preserve this freedom and fix a lot of this. But it's going to take a long time to get us back. Hey, thank you so much for taking time. One question for you as we leave. I know you're going to watch 2,000 Mules. You can stream it at home uh, Saturday and get it for yourself. Will you promise next week sometime, 10 minutes, and I won't even call you and ask you, when you've got 10 minutes, plug us in there. I want you to come back for 10 minutes and tell us what you think. I I hope that I'll have a chance between now and next week to watch it. It's certainly on my must-do list. Um, We've got a crazy schedule going back to D.C. next week. It's going to be insane. But I will circle back with you on it for sure, and I'm sure it's going to affirm everything we already know and have heard in our Judiciary Committee. Hey, let me say one more thing. You mentioned the podcast. Thanks for doing that. The the best way to do it, it's on all the platforms, but if you just go to MikeAndKellyJohnson.com, that's our website where we have it there, and you can go directly link to uh, wherever you get your podcast, but um, we're talking about this on our show as well, Dan. And I'm I'm so grateful for your voice, brother. It's an important one right now, and, and glad to support everything you do. Thank you, Chief. We'll talk soon. Okay, buddy. Bye, bye. Congressman Mike Johnson. He is a really good guy. I I I just look at these people that give service like his in Washington D.C. facing all of these things that we look at when it's a convenient, you know, five or ten minutes, maybe twenty minutes in our day, or we check out. 
of our normal lives at night and we'll go watch, you know, 30 minutes of Hannity, maybe Laura Ingram on the way to bed. We can check in and check out. He can't. He's in the middle of this up to his eyeballs. And I know he volunteered for it. I know they run for it and they ask us to give us our votes and we do. But it's a job that I just can't imagine having to wake up every day and go do this for about 12 to 15 hours, seven days a week. It's an incredible commitment. And our hats are off to them, at least mine is, especially for Mike and Kelly. They're really good people. Well, so much for that. We've got many other things to get into. We're going to do that right after this. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please, forgive us for never washing our hands, ever. Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. Oh, it's a puppy. Not a puppy, a wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. Put the wolf down. You guys good? Yeah, we're good. Yep. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive, no drama. Hey, what do you want to da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Hmm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these days. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. <gasps> oh no, I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh no! No! These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to da or any da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it right here. TNN, the Truth News Network. Well, here we are. Here we are, folks. End of a week. Big week for you. A good week, I hope. Hope you've got a big weekend plan. Don't forget this. Do not forget this. Guys, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. My wife and I have been married for 47 years. We have three amazing children, six grandchildren, and they all live right here around us. It's Mother's Day weekend. Do not, guys, do not do what I'm guilty of doing every once in a while when our kids, who are very busy adults now, believe me, they're involved in all kinds of things, work and otherwise, really busy time. Spring, Mother's Day, it's really not a good time to have Mother's Day to get families together and get everybody pulled back in for this. And so what I've been guilty of doing numerous years, especially of late, you know, I'll say, hey, look, she's not my mother. My mother was a great woman. 
She was really close to me and my brother and our families, and she was a mainstay in everything we did. That was my mom. Mary Ann is not my mom. She's my wife, and I get it. Don't throw rocks at your computer, and don't cuss me, ladies, because I'm wrong for ever thinking that. She birthed and raised our three kids. That is her mothering. And by her volunteering literally to do that for me is a huge deal. Guys, don't take your wives for granted this weekend. Don't be guilty of saying what I've said several times. You're not my mother. You're my wife. (laughs) I can't believe I haven't gotten hit when I've said that. I probably said it only a couple of times, but I'll never say it again. In fact, this morning... Uh, We were having coffee, early coffee, with a friend who came in, and she laughed about it to him, saying, oh, you know, Dan doesn't know what's going to go on for Mother's Day. He tells me regularly, I'm not his mama, I'm his wife. Seriously, we are blessed. I am blessed to have her as the mother of our kids and, of course, as my partner now for 47 years. I can't believe she married me. And those of you who know me and her, you can't believe it either. But she's a saint for doing it and staying with me this long. And I know she's probably, she left the house right before the show started. And so I walked in the studio. She walked to the garage. She's probably not listening. But if you are, or if any of you that are listening know her, witness this. Marianne, I love you and thank you for your 47-year commitment to me and our family. We're all blessed to have you as mom. Now, guys, take a hint from what you just heard. (laughs) Do do the right thing. And don't get lost tomorrow in watching uh, the Kentucky Derby and all the races, and then we've got golf and all. Don't get lost in that. Give her a day or two. Do something special for her. Shock her. That's what I'm trying to do. Figure out drawing our kids together and surprising mom this weekend. I think they'll all be pleased if we'll do that every once in a while. So let's get back in the gutter. How about we do that today? Big news came out this morning. I saw the president. He was really excited. U.S. economy added 428,000 jobs in April. Unemployment at 3.6%. But there's always a but when we come out with these economy statistics. The Working participation rate fell. Now, what is that? Well, that's how many people are out there in the workforce that have been in the workforce that have been working, and they just pulled out of the system. The reason the unemployment rate is at 3.6%, which is very low, it's because a lot of people, a lot of people have just said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going back to work. How can they do that? Do you realize there are easy opportunities for people that have come through the uh, pandemic, the coronavirus stuff, with all of the money giveaways and the unemployment insurance subsidized by the federal government? People are able to milk the system like never before And actually, with all of the government assistance and even private assistance that is available for people who aren't working, there's an opportunity to really make a living and make it without working. That's not a good thing. I mean, 
I'm looking right now at a news headline and directly below the headline, there is a one of those signs that you see out on the side of the road where you know they have the backlighted letters and you can actually change the letters out yourself. And it's a massive, it looks like it's a 20-foot wide sign, and it says, back, now hiring. People are not going to work. They're taking it easy, and they're living off the government. That's a dangerous precedent for us to set here in the United States. Now, don't get caught up with that number, 428,000 jobs. Economists had been saying it was going to be about 400,000. So it's 28,000 more, and we all clap our hands saying, yes, yes, new jobs. Those are not new jobs. Everyone needs to realize that. Our economy has not grown 400,000 plus new jobs. Those are people going back to work that haven't been working, many of who lost their jobs in the lockdowns from the pandemic. Now look back over your shoulder. When did this all begin? When did those lockdowns begin where they closed everything? None of us had any place to go. We, could, we couldn't even go get something at a restaurant, go to a movie theater. We were lucky to be able to go to the grocery store. 428,000 people went back to work. That's the bottom line. But at the same time, a bunch of people that had been unemployed and normally would have stepped back into the workforce, not only did they not step back in, the participation rate fell. What does that mean? It means a lot of people that were working or were on the unemployment rolls drawing unemployment, for whatever reason or reasons, they just dropped out of the workforce. That's not a good thing. And don't get caught up in the good news you're going to hear being splattered all across your televisions this weekend and your newspapers and your favorite news websites. It's not a good thing. Yeah, it's okay. 428,000 went back to work, but we still have millions of jobs that we need to get people back into. And I don't care what anybody says, a vacation, it's a lot of fun. And I think we all need to take a couple of weeks a year, if we possibly can, to get away from the 24-7 everyday stuff and go to the beach, Uh, go to the mountains, Go do a long bike ride. Go visit relatives. Just get away from the everyday 24-7 monopoly, monotonous that we live in and go take some time off. But folks, we don't need people just leaving and walking away and turning and looking at others to pay the bill for them. We don't need that. It's one thing to need assistance And it's another thing to demand assistance. And as Congressman Johnson basically said, when you start looking around the globe trying to find a better place to go live, better opportunities, better conditions, you're living in the United States of America. You're at the best place to live. I haven't been to a lot of countries, but I've been to a couple of dozen. I can tell you this, even over in Europe where it's really good, or at least we're told it's really good, They look at us as the go-to place. Southeast Asia, 
I got to be completely honest with you. I'd always heard about Malaysia. I looked down my nose at those people. Folks, I spent about a month split up into a couple of visits on business in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and even went down to the tip, Singapore. Yeah, Singapore's in a different world. It's actually its own country now. Uh, Most of the wealth in the nation, not in the nation, but on the globe, concentrated by population. It's the number one place when it comes to dollars and cents. But even in Singapore and Malaysia, they don't have it any better than we do overall. All things considered, the liberties and freedoms that we have, that people gave their lives for, and we often, far too often, take all those sacrifices for granted, never take living in the United States of America, being born in the freest country on the planet in world history. Don't ever take that for granted. And if you don't ever do it, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not a Christian, you know there's a creator out there. Somebody started this stuff. (laughs) Some entity, some deity started this world that we live on. Breathe just a thought of thankfulness for what you have, who you have, and where you're having it. You got that? And I want you to have a very happy Mother's Day, moms, because you deserve it. And while I was giving you my litany there, my uh, phone beeped, and let me see. I will bet you it's my wife. Hmm. Let's see here. Oh, yes, she says. I am listening. Love you, and you are out of the doghouse. <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. One more year. I'm not going to take you for granted this next year, I promise. Well, back to, um, let's go back to Biden world. How about President Biden? He declared on Wednesday that half of our country is comprised of people like you and me. And he called us extremists. He said, this MAGA crowd, He's referring to former President Trump's Make America Great Again slogan. This MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political organization that's existed in American history. And then he thought about that for a second, and he said, in recent American history. Did you get that? This MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political organization that's existed in American history. Now, put this in perspective. This is the president of the United States of America. And he's talking about more than half of the nation and calling all of us that are not like-minded, like himself and others of his political ilk, putting us in, I guess, Hillary Clinton's basket of deplorables, but he takes it one step further. You and I comprise the most extreme political organization that's existed in American history. And even if he qualifies it like he did, when he said that, you can put a dash in it, and he corrected it, in recent American history, even if you give him credit for that. He went over the edge, folks. He went over the edge. And I could spend the rest of our show today and 
we only have a little over an hour and eight minutes. I could spend the rest of my show today tearing what he said apart, tearing what he has been doing and not doing as the president of the United States. And I can make a case, and you could too, as a matter of fact, that his group of people, whoever comprises it, and I'm not just talking about members of the Democrat Party, I'm talking about a lot of people out there that are far more left than the average Democrat. And I got to be honest with you, even though Christopher Ray, FBI director, has twice now in testimony over the last year to different, I guess, to the Senate and maybe the House, he basically both times said that the number one threat against democracy here in the United States is white supremacist. The FBI director. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I haven't seen or heard in the last few years, especially, I've not seen or heard white supremacists burning down a major city, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of damage, and then another major city, and another major city, and another major city, slaughtering people in the streets, burning buildings, destroying jobs. And it wasn't white supremacists. Black Lives Matter. Everybody's afraid to even bring that up and say. It's almost like, we've got a whisper. Black Lives Matter. And then they raise hundreds of millions of dollars in 501c3 tax-free contributions. And we knew there was a lot of evil there just simply because, hey, we quote the Bible here. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, right? I didn't say it. Money's not the root of all evil, the love of money. And even right now, One of their founders is caught up in a big, big hoo-ha for buying several houses with Black Lives Matter tax-free dollars donated. Do you know George Soros and his entities have donated at least $200 million to Black Lives Matter? And it's not just the billionaires. Probably less than a quarter of a mile from where I'm sitting in the studio today, there's a string of restaurants that when the BLM thing just grew to major proportions, you know, there for, I guess, eight months to a year, they were the thing, right? The local chapter went to these restaurants, blackmailing these restaurant owners to get them to put signs on their door that say very clearly, we support Black Lives Matter, and I'm going to paraphrase and say, and all the things that BLM supports. And the threat that they used was if you don't put these up there and if you don't support us, we're going to picket your build your business and we're going to take your business away from you. And I'm talking about, I'm not, I don't live in Shreveport, Louisiana proper. I live out on the outskirts and this is a, a major development on the outskirts, but it's not in the middle of town. It's not a great big populated area. And that infiltration is going down to that level among us in the nation. But according to our president, the MAGA crowd, 
MAGA crowd, make America great again. Number one problem in this nation, and according to our president, the most radical in recent history. Last night on Sean Hannity, former congresswoman from Hawaii, Tulsi Gabbard, joined Sean Hannity, and they had this discussion. All right, joining us now with more former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard is with us. I, I particularly, Tulsi, I'd love to get your reaction to Biden saying the MAGA crowd is the most extreme political organization that's existed in recent American history. Uh, let's start with Antifa, BLM, the group BLM. Uh, what do we want, dead cops? What do we want them now? Well, you're a Democrat. How do you react to that? Because it's obviously ridiculous. It's worse than ridiculous, Sean. It is absolutely despicable and outrageous. When you look at the president of the United States of America calling millions of Americans essentially terrorists, people who politically opposed him or voted against him, he's calling them terrorists in an attempt to intimidate them into silence. And we know this is because we've heard this before from both him and his attorney general. You'll remember when, when his attorney general said, you know, anyone who holds extremist or anti-authority views will be targeted for investigation and potential prosecution by their domestic terrorist unit. So he's essentially saying that this quote-unquote MAGA crowd are worse than terrorists. Uh, this is outrageous. And, and so for every American who's watching, every American who's seen this, no matter how you feel about the MAGA crowd, this is an authoritarian assault on our freedom. And we need to stand together very strongly against this attempt to intimidate and silence anyone who holds political views that are different from or opposed to what this president and his administration are furthering. This is an assault on our democracy. I want your thoughts on on the rush to, to cling to this potential decision in the Supreme Court that would overrule Roe v. Wade. Number one, Joe Biden supported uh, a constitutional amendment to get rid of it. Interesting, he's not been asked the question. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg pretty much saying and arguing what I had said all my career, which I thought it was bad law. It'll be returned to the states. Abortion is not going to be unavailable or illegal in America. So they're demagoguing that issue. I'm arguing the reason they're doing it is because they don't have anything else that they can run on and say, hey, we did this, this and this, and we're all, all better off because of it. Am I wrong? Well, I think when you look at the different efforts to assault our freedom and democracy, it continuously points to the fact that they're afraid of the people. They're afraid of us. They're afraid of this question being put to the people through their state legislatures for the people's voices to be heard. Uh, I think it's also critical to point out that uh, this leak sets a very, very dangerous precedent for our Supreme Court for three important reasons. Number one is, first of all, this person is a thief who stole this information, released it with a very specific intent to try to incite protesters and intimidate and pressure our Supreme Court justices to make a political decision rather than a decision that is based on the Constitution. Uh, number two, we have the fact that um, you know, the Supreme Court is not in place to legislate from the bench. 
people's representatives at the state level, at the federal level, are charged to make laws, not the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court needs to make decisions uh, based on the Constitution. And the Department of Justice, lastly, needs to go and prosecute this uh, crime, which is exactly what it is, and make an example out of the person who leaked this information, because our Supreme Court justices cannot operate under the fear that they will have partisan political activists in their house uh, intimidating and threatening their ability to do their job per the Constitution. And there was a th uh, apparently J Justice Alito was supposed to give uh, remarks at an event and he had to cancel. Uh, and we know why. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, always great to have you. Thank you for being with us. You know, Tulsi Gabbard is a Democrat. It's hard to believe, basically, some of the things she's saying now. What you just heard her say, it's the anti-democratic slant on what's happening in the nation around us. Remember Congressman Johnson, when he was here earlier, he said he couldn't believe that they actually collectively sent protesters to the homes of these six so-called conservative Supreme Court justices to attack them, protest, of course, they wouldn't say attack. But as we know, this is the United States of America. This is this period in our government, in our country, and we're seeing good protest often turn into violent extremist activities. What a dangerous position for these justices of the Supreme Court that they don't, they don't make laws. And you heard Tulsi Gabbard bring that up. To me, this is one of the greatest disservices of the left, not educating their people to exactly what the Supreme Court is supposed to be and how the Supreme Court functions in their constitutional capacities. They do not make legislation. They cannot make legislation. Their job and their sole jobs or when cases come before them, to consider the aspects of the suits, the lawsuits that they're looking at and these oral arguments that they hear and then them getting together and having discussions, looking at constitutional precedents on all of these cases, all they can do legally is weigh in by putting the lawsuit up besides the Constitution and any time there is a conflict between the two, they are supposed to come down and weigh in only on the perspective of, is this, this claim in this lawsuit, is it lining up with what the Constitution says can be allowed or what the Constitution says cannot be allowed? That's all they can do. Now, I don't care what anybody says. I've read and we posted that uh, that draft of that Supreme Court opinion that Justice Alito wrote, I think it was back in September. It's the first draft. I promise you the way it works up there now when that's circulated among the justices, the final version doesn't look anything like this version that we've all read. But this whole process of somebody breaking the law breaking federal law. Of course, nowadays, that's not nearly as big a deal as it always has been. We've looked at people, very high-level people like James Comey and others, John Brennan, former CIA director, in sworn testimony before the United States Congress, both of them, former FBI Director Comey, former CIA Director John Brennan and others, 
They lied through their teeth, which is a criminal violation of federal law. Nothing happens to them. So whoever this person or these people are that got a hold of that draft opinion on Roe v. Wade, they broke laws. Will they be held accountable? I don't know. But this is something that is, there is no precedent for this ever leaking. Now, there has been one other time something that was leaked. I forget the exact circumstances. And it it created a big furor. And it's not supposed to happen again. How this leaked out, I don't know. I don't know that we'll ever find out. But this is probably the worst one ever. And since we're talking just for a second about what this opinion was about, Roe v. Wade, everybody needs to understand, again, the Supreme Court weighs in on the constitutionality of all these issues. The word abortion is nowhere in the Constitution. There is no mention of it. The very fact that Roe v. Wade was codified back in 1973, that Supreme Court went outside the lanes that they are supposed to stay in, and they couldn't use anything specific from the Constitution. So they went over to the 14th Amendment, and they took a little chunk out of the 14th Amendment and found a way to justify going out of their lanes and going and grabbing this. Why did they do that? Political pressure. Political pressure. That's the only explanation that one can logically come up with for the reason for making Roe v. Wade supposedly an authorization for there to be abortions legal in all 50 states. Justice Alito, and he didn't pin that opinion all by himself. That is always a collective of others. But in that first draft, they made it very plain. On this show, minutes after that was released, I read page two, paragraph four, and he said, and he had a whole lot more to say because it's a 98-page opinion, but he said, we are ruling that Roe v. Wade is not constitutional, that abortion is not guaranteed to anybody. It's not even addressed. It's not even mentioned in the United States Constitution. Law, the Constitution, the structure of the rule of law in the United States is the big difference in our nation that makes us different from all the other 191 countries, 191 and counting. The numbers keep going up and down about how many countries there are on the planet. But it puts us way up at the top. As long as we adhere to our rule of law and we stay, all of us, stay inside the land. We cannot afford to get outside of the lanes that are given to us. In the Constitution and the subsequent laws that are passed by our members of Congress. And by the way, that, (laughs) that fact given to us by our Congress making laws, that's constitutional. That's in the Constitution. That's what we're supposed to go by. That's what we're supposed to live by. And here we are, the far left are making it okay for these people to go threaten these members of the United States Constitution if they dare to overturn Roe v. Wade. Forget about that law thing. Forget about that Constitution thing, right? 
Real Truth. Real News. TNN. The Truth News Network. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle Snuggle. I am so out of here. Wait. Come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. Sounds sinister, doesn't it? <laughs> Temptations, Papa was a rolling stone. Hey, for those of you that just joined us, you knew that Congressman Mike Johnson was going to be with us this morning. I got a call early, early. He had to move it up. It was supposed to be the second hour, this hour of the show. Moved it up to the first hour. But don't fret. It's a great get-together that we had, and it will be available for you right after the show ends today. You'll have a couple of ways to get it. Uh, it will be posted. Just the interview with him. We'll cut it out, edit it in, and we will immediately post it at the bottom of today's homepage story of TNN Live. Truth News Network, and it is titled 2,000 Mules. And then, of course, it will be in our podcast that immediately go up at Apple, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and through the end of this month, Facebook, at the end of the month, Facebook is kicking us off their platform. I guess we get a little too uh, kinky for them. <laughs> Probably not kinky, that's not a good word, but you know what I mean. We're a little bit to the right of where the Facebook folks, Mark Zuckerberg, $430 million Mark Zuckerberg, giving tax-free dollars to six swing states. And they didn't just write checks to the state. They wrote them to 501c3 corporations that legally were not supposed to be involved in electioning. They're not supposed to. If you're a tax-free entity, you're not, you can't legally and take advantage continually of your tax-free status if you get involved in electioneering. And they did. Isn't it interesting that three weeks ago, Mr. Zuckerberg went public nationally and he made it known to everybody, my wife and I will no longer be making contributions to any organizations that are involved in any way 
with elections or with political candidates. Interesting, isn't it? Anyway, we will edit the interview down. It'll be at the bottom of that story, 2,000 Mules. And it is going to be, of course, in the first 40 minutes, 35 or 40 minutes of our show today that you can get at any one of those podcast sites. Now, when we went to break just before that, we heard from Sean Hannity and former Congresswoman from Hawaii, Tulsi Gabbard, about our president calling the MAGA crowd. And I'm not a registered Republican, but I got to admit, I'm part of the MAGA crowd. My life got much, much better during the four years of the Trump campaign on every front. And by the way, same thing holds true for almost every American out there. We got great tax breaks, the biggest ones ever, even though the Democrats warned us that if we gave away that money, we would have to take it away from all the goodies from what other Americans were getting, you know, ones that are less fortunate for us. That didn't hold up. They said it was going to horribly decrease the tax money that the federal government takes in so that they can spend all this money to make us all healthy and happy and fat. Well, that didn't hold true either. During the four years of the Trump administration, the government never had before received tax dollars like it did during those four years. Why is that? Because more people were working than ever before. Black African-American unemployment went way, way down. More African-Americans went to work. Women, the same thing. And of course, that evil orange man, he was tearing our nation apart. He created white supremacy. (laughs) And his minions were tearing the nation apart. I guess they believe that we all live in a vacuum and that we don't have a clue about what's going on. Let me tell you what the reality really is. Most conservatives are involved in the lives of themselves, their families, and their circles of influence and all those that live in them. And most conservatives, they allot their time and concentration to be productive in what they do with it. Rather than sitting around and just drinking beer and smoking cigarettes and talking about Democrat politics. And that's an exaggeration, and I'm not demeaning anybody when I say that, but I'm pointing out facts. Conservatives need to get more active. We need to be more involved because as we see playing out on our stage around us, let me ask all of you that are listening right now, did you ever, ever give one thought coming out of four years of Donald Trump Did you ever think that less than a year into the Biden administration, our entire economy and political structure would go to the dogs as far as it has in one year? I would have never thought that was possible. I knew it was going to get worse. He promised during his campaign, the two or three times he actually got out and campaigned, he promised He was going to begin the destruction of the fossil fuel energy sector. And starting on day one as president, he did it, actually put it in place. But between election day, November 3rd of 2020 and January 20th of 2021, when he took office, the country began to go straight down in almost every economical sector because people were preparing themselves 
because he told us what it was going to do. And sure enough, he began it. First thing he did, canceling the XL pipeline permit that was almost completed. That was the pipeline that was going to run from the southern Canada oil and gas fields down to the Gulf Coast of the United States for distribution. And people were going to be making millions of dollars generating tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue because the Gulf is a really good place from which to distribute things all around the globe. And you may not know this, but in Canada, it's a big country. Stretches from the side of ours to the other side of ours and even more so up north of there. They don't have a Gulf Coast. Anything that they move in their production, it has to go all the way to the West Coast or all the way to the East Coast. And it sure would have been a lot more effective for those people if right in the middle of their country and ours, there was a pipeline. They have some of the most productive oil and gas fields in central Canada, almost as much as we do. And this was going to be a great way for them to move that petro energy fuel through the heart of America, right down through the middle to the Gulf Coast, Louisiana and Texas. And in one day, he shut it down. And that's the beginning of this thing that we live in. And look at what we're facing today. Oh, they're shouting, we got all these new jobs. That's the term he uses all the time. 428,000 new jobs. You'll hear it in the press briefings today. And every day, look at what we're doing. Unemployment went down. Oh my gosh, less than 4% unemployment. And that's because people are leaving the labor force. You took them out of the labor force. In your first year, you spent trillions of dollars in giveaways, hundreds of billions of dollars wasted. And that's only scratching the surface of what they've actually come forward and kind of been maybe semi-honest about that. There is no telling where those billions of dollars went. We do know this, and I'm going to move on, but more than half a billion dollars in those unemployment benefits, you know, where the federal government went on top of the state unemployment, and they, for months and months and months, they gave these states tens of millions of dollars to pay on top of the regular state unemployment benefits, more than half, I'm sorry, how many, I think it's, I think it's five, 500 billion, went to overseas countries, to entities there that scammed the system out of our federal government tax unemployment benefits. That's just one example. You heard Tulsi Gabbard and Sean Hannity. That's where I started this segment with. Stuart Varney, who I I like Stuart a lot here, Fox Business. He's a Brit, but he's lived here a long time, and he always has a really good perspective on things here, especially the politics, because he grew up over there in a socialist nation. Well, he was joined by former Arkansas Governor Huckabee, and these two weighed in on the MAGA stuff and Joe Biden. It's not a lengthy segment, but I want you to hear these two have this discussion. Democrats are worried that the abortion issue won't be enough for a midterm win. We've got one pollster telling Politico, and I'm quoting now, the issue will help at the margins 
but to hold the House or Senate, we need inflation to go away. Mike Huckabee, former governor of uh, Arkansas, joins us now. Governor, how much do you think this leak helps the Democrats in November? I don't think it helps them at all, uh, in part because uh, the issue of abortion is one where people have strong, passionate views. I'm passionately pro-life. There are people who are passionately pro-abortion. That's not going to change. So as much as the Democrats may think they're motivated to go because of a Supreme Court decision, pro-life people are equally motivated to go to protect human life and to believe that every life has intrinsic worth and value. And, and the big lie the Democrats keep telling that Democrats will figure out when uh, and if this does in fact happen, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, it doesn't make abortion illegal. It doesn't end it. It simply gives it back to the states where it should have been all along. So this is a legal issue. It is not uh, the issue of abortion itself. And that's where the, the lie continues on the part of Democrats who act like that the world's going to come to an end. Some states do will have more abortions. Others will have none at all. But if they want to have abortions, and here's what I would challenge them with. They say that the majority of people support abortion. If that's true, then in all of those states, their elected representatives will vote to have abortions in those states. The fact that they are worried that they want is telling you that they really know that the majority of people don't support unrestricted abortion. Okay. The other issue here is President Biden ripping into Trump supporters, calling them an extreme political organization. I'm going to run this again because it's very important. Roll tape, please. What are the next things that are going to be attacked? Because this MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political ex organization that's existed in American history, in recent American history. Extreme political organization. Honestly, Governor, that sounds divisive to me. Oh, no, no, Stu, you're, you're so wrong about that. This is the man who is going to heal America. He's going to bring us together. And he just did that by giving the big middle finger to half of the country and telling us what he really thought about us. I, I'm just amazed that uh, there were people who actually believed when Joe Biden said that he was going to be a uh, uniner and bring the country together. And that's what we get is a person who not just insults us, but who thinks that we're Looney Tune because we happen to believe that loving America, believing in secure borders, lowering taxes, protecting our troops overseas when they're put in harm's way. Uh, keeping regulations off of business and growing jobs, somehow that we're crazy to believe such things. Well, we're still crazy about those things and will be when we go vote in November. And it's going to be a real spanking to the people who took us for granted or held us in contempt. It's always good to hear the perspectives of other people. That's one thing we do here at Truth News Network pretty consistently. Yeah, I, I, I'll confess, I'm a hardcore conservative. Uh, in fact, in many ways, I am not, first of all, I'm not a registered Republican. I am probably more libertarian than some people you may know, but I believe government is too big. I believe government is far too intrusive. I believe the resources, a huge portion of the resources, and if we knew what the percentage is, we'd probably be shocked. The American resources, the resources that we, the people, produce, way too big a chunk of that is wasted by the people in Washington, D.C. And some of it split around in the state houses among the 50 states here in the United States. 
I think the taxpayers here are overtaxed. I think we need to be more involved in our government to stop all of this egregious activity. And when we have a president, I don't care who it is, giving, as Governor Huckabee just said, giving half of the nation, half of the people in the nation the middle finger, calling us extremists, the most extremist organization, he said, than any other in American history. Where does this man get this notion? He has lost it if he believes that. And honestly, I'm pretty sure he believes it. So, Republicans are pushing back. Conservatives are pushing back. That's a good thing. Let me tell you about something that happened yesterday. You may not have heard about it. Two Republican-led states filed a lawsuit against the president, but not just him. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and even some other top administration officials. What for? Pressuring and colluding with social media giants with the aim of censoring and suppressing free speech. Who are those states? Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt and our state Attorney General Jeff Landry. They filed a lawsuit in U.S. District Court for the Western District of Louisiana on April the 5th, yesterday. And they announced this in separate statements. The attorneys claim that Biden and other government officials worked with big tech companies like Meta, which is the parent company of Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, owned by Google. What for? To censor conversation around matters relating to everything from COVID-19, election integrity, to the Hunter Biden laptop story. Doing so under the guise of combating misinformation. There's that ambiguous catch-all word that is all over our government lingo now. Mike Johnson, we talked about this ministry of disinformation that is now it actually exists in Homeland Security. We're going to get into a little bit about that so-called director of it, Jankovitz, with uh, Louisiana Senator John Kennedy in a few minutes. You can't wait. Don't you dare leave before you get to hear him take on Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas in uh, Senate chambers in a committee hearing. Others named in this lawsuit. I mean, they just went on and on. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas, and the Executive Director of Homeland Security's newly established Disinformation Governance Board, Nina Jankowitz. That's this woman that uh, everybody is talking about now. The CDC, National Institute of Health, Department of Health and Human Services, Becerra, Director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, Jen Easterly. They're also defendants in this lawsuit. So when they announced it yesterday, Attorney General Schmidt stressed the importance of the freedom of speech, which he said is paramount to a healthy society. We all know that. We have the greatest openness of any other country on the planet regarding our protection of the freedom to say anything. It comes in the First Amendment of the Constitution. Schmidt stated, Americans use social media platforms to discuss a wide array of topics 
noting that those topics have more recently, in light of the global COVID-19 pandemic, conversations regarding whether or not face coverings are effective in stopping the virus from spreading, whether the virus origins came from a lab leak in Wuhan, and whether the vaccines are actually stopping COVID-19 infections. All of these things are being discussed sometimes rapidly, often loudly. Sometimes these are divisive discussions. But that is a mark of free speech. Free speech, that's why our forefathers made it very clear to anybody that was in the brand new formed federal government and for all of those that would follow them, that is the first laid out piece of truth that they felt they had to confirm in specific words. This belongs in perpetuity, not to the government, but to the American people. So this lawsuit, it says this one little section, in direct contravention to the First Amendment and freedom of speech, the Biden administration has been engaged in a pernicious campaign to both pressure social media giants to censor and suppress speech and work directly with those platforms to achieve that censorship in a misguided and Orwellian campaign against misinformation. That's from Missouri A.G. Schmidt referencing George Orwell's dystopian novel about a totalitarian state, 1984. The suit filed yesterday specifically accuses Biden and other government officials for working with big tech companies to remove truthful information related to the lab leak theory, the efficacy of masks, election integrity, and more. It accuses Biden and other officials of falsely attacking the Hunter Biden laptop story as disinformation, along with tech giants like Twitter. And it goes on and on and on. The New York Times and Washington Post have since acknowledged the existence of the Hunter Biden laptop and emails, but you couldn't even mention that. When I remember when the New York Post went public and they just busted it wide open about Hunter Biden's laptop and its contents that were revealed, every one of the platforms shut it down and not only did that, They terminated the New York Post accounts on Facebook and Twitter, and not even just that. If you posted something on your personal Twitter page or your Facebook page in any way legitimizing or try to legitimize the information out there from the New York Post story, they pulled that down. In other words, the suit maintains those actions were and are today a violation of the First Amendment. Let me make a prediction for you. This one will go all the way to the Supreme Court. I promise you, this one's not going to end anytime soon. But these two state's attorney generals, they are really into this. They have been. Jeff Landry, um, he's a bulldog here in Louisiana. So is Schmidt up in Missouri. These guys are committed to the rule of law. And they're going to stick with it. Now, you've heard all the talk, the fallout about the leak of the Supreme Court opinion regarding the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Democrats are not lying down on this. You may have not heard, probably haven't, what I'm about to tell you. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, he's actually going to force a vote next week. They're bringing 
legislation before the Senate that will codify Roe v. Wade in the middle of this leaked Supreme Court draft decision that would strike it down. This is really a test procedural vote, and it's going to fall short because the bill needs 60 votes to advance to the floor for full debate. But Democrats, what they're going to use this for, and you know, Congressman Mike Johnson that was with us earlier, this is one of the things that flies in the face of not just me and people that kind of look in on the procedures and the way that the U.S. Senate and the House operate with their rules, and I don't like this, but anyway, any bill that comes is presented to the Senate, there is a, uh, a cloture vote. It's got to have that, and it takes 60 votes to get it to pass for that piece of legislation to go to the floor for full debate and also for there to be during debate amendments proposed and sometimes they're added to this legislation. And they want to show, the Democrats want to expose Republicans, put them on record, and show their own voters that they are fighting. Next week, the U.S. Senate is going to vote on legislation to codify a woman's right to seek abortion into federal law. Now, this is Chuck Sumer. He said this from the Senate floor yesterday. He's going to move to tee up the bill on Monday, setting up an initial vote for Wednesday. It'll be the second vote that Schumer has forced on this issue. They rejected a similar bill by a vote of 46 to 48 earlier this year with Senator Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia. He voted with Senate Republicans against bringing this bill to the floor to actually try to make in federal law abortion legal. Wait a minute, I thought it already was with Roe v. Wade. No, it's not. There's no word abortion in the Constitution. Democrats have made changes to the bill. They uh, made the changes to address the concerns that others that voted against it had, shore up support within their own conference. A bunch of Democrats don't like that original bill. That includes striking a non-biting findings section that, among other things, referred to restrictions on abortion as perpetuating white supremacy and called it a tool of gender oppression. Oh, my gosh. It's not clear if it's going to be enough, the changes they made to get all 50 Democrats. Manchin indicated he hadn't seen the updates yet. Senate Majority Whip Dick Dermott, Democrat of Illinois, said he wasn't sure if they would be able to pick up Manchin's vote. And this vote comes as Republicans have largely gone quiet over the potential that Roe v. Wade could be struck down. Instead, they're focusing on the draft ruling being leaked. Now, isn't it interesting? You would think that Democrats would be screaming and hollering about not the content of this, but the process. Like Congressman Johnson mentioned earlier, he said, we've never seen anything like this before, where somebody, some despot that somehow is part of the most secure and probably the most very quietly powerful entity in our government, the United States Supreme Court. They actually leaked this memo that was penned by Justice Alito, and it gave away what looks like it's going to be a sure thing that in June the Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. So Politico yesterday, they, uh, they released a poll. 
They found that 50% of voters believe this landmark case that guarantees abortion access should not be overturned. 28% say that it should be. All week we've been seeing Republicans try to duck, dodge, and dip from their responsibility for bringing Roe to the brink of total repeal. This is Schumer from the floor yesterday. Next week, the American people will see crystal clear that when given the chance to right this wrong, the Republican Party will either side with the extremists who want to ban abortion with no exceptions or side with women, with families. Oh my gosh, they have families with the vast majority of Americans. And it's not the vast majority of Americans, folks. It's not. And it doesn't make abortion illegal. This is the thing that they, the left, are hanging their hat on. How could anybody force a woman to have a child, especially in the case of rape or incest? All this does, it takes it out of federal law. It's in and been determined to be a federal legal process when it's not according to the adjudication that has been given in this leaked memo. Do you realize before 1973, women were getting abortions in all 50 states, unless the states had determined abortion in their state is against the law. All, if this is codified, if this comes out, and they actually, the Supreme Court, do rule that the Roe v. Wade decision is unconstitutional, it will simply throw the abortion issue right back to where it was before 1973. It will be state by state. Now, i got to be honest with you. If, if I'm somebody living, if I'm in the healthcare, as an example, industry, which I am, May 2nd was the 30th anniversary of the founding of my healthcare company. And so I deal and have for 30 years with healthcare providers, hospitals, clinics, emergency air and ambulance, ground ambulance entities. We manage their reimbursement. In other words, we fight the insurance companies, along with Medicare and Medicaid, by the way, to make sure they're paid appropriately by law for the services they provide. If I'm a healthcare provider in some of these very liberal states, and I'll just name a few, California, Oregon, Washington, on the East Coast, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, some of these states, I would be licking my chops because I can open the door for women that need and want abortions to come from all over the country to come there to get those procedures performed. You'll be able to do that as long as the states that you want to go to are making it legal for abortion to be handled there. You ever wonder about how some of these Republicans that are really rhinos, which means Republican in name only, how they feel about this abortion issue? Republican Senators Lisa Mikowski of Alaska, Susan Collins of Maine, who both voted against the Democratic bill earlier this year, have introduced a narrower bill to try to codify Roe v. Wade. They are in talks with their Republican colleagues to try to build support for the legislation as they push it for a vote. I've been having discussions with some of my colleagues on both sides of the aisle, Collins said. Manchin, he asked about the bill when he was asked. He stopped short of saying he was 
open to it, but that we're looking at it. Dick Turbin is the number two Senate Democrat in the Senate. He said he was talking with Collins. I've talked with Senator Collins with her bill with Senator Murkowski. I'm hoping we can find some common ground. So what that's all about, folks, they can't find a way to make it happen. What do I have to say about that? I got to be honest with you. I don't have much to say about it other than they need to represent the people. Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, Susan Collins in Maine, Dick Durbin in Illinois. What the people that they represent feel from their respective states of Alaska, Maine, and Illinois, that's how these senators need to vote. And trust and allow every other senator and across the hallway to the House of Representatives, we need to expect those representatives to do what? Represent the people and the people that send them to D.C. vote representing those people and forget about their own personal convictions. Wow. Got up on my pulpit for that, right? We're going to take another break, but you don't want to miss this next one. We're going on the road show. Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana, he's the U.S. Senate's own Mark Twain. He takes Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, he takes him on task yesterday and talks to him about this Nina Jankovic woman who is on target to run the federal government's disinformation bureau, that she's going to go after everything you and I say in social media and tell us when we're sowing seeds of disinformation. You don't want to miss this. Des Moines Help Wanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Holidays abroad. Can we? Can't we? But then we thought, should we? Staycation! We could share a year. Please, no. Luckily, we've picked British Airways holidays. Small deposit and can change if we need to. Decision made. Moonlight skinny dipping. <laughs> we've booked St. Lucia. Two weeks. Did you? Why didn't we? Ah, clever you. British Airways holidays. At all protected. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. 
as much a part of your day as pants. Dan Newman, TNN, The Truth News Network. I don't know about you, but I got my pants on. Pretty much wear them every day. <laughs> I have no idea what Pete Moss meant when he said, TNN is much a part of your life as our pants. <laughs> I hope we're part of your life, and I want to thank you for being here. Many of you make this uh, an everyday thing, and I appreciate that. But don't forget, if you miss a show, and you're going to miss a show from every now and then because you're busy, you can't always stay in front of your computer or with earbuds in your ears at the office. I want to thank you for checking in. But if you miss one live, you can always go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart Podcast, TuneIn Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and even Facebook through the end of this month. And you can grab an entire show so you never have to miss it. You can also, by the way, go to the story of that particular date of a show you missed Scroll down on the bottom of that story that's on the front page of truthnewsnet.org and you can listen to the podcast for that show that particular day. Well, we know about Joe Biden's big uh, Department of Homeland Security's Disinformation Governance Board. Well, this woman that's been tapped to lead it, she called critics of critical race theory disinformers during a conference on disinformation. Her name is... Nina Jankovitz. She said in this meeting, the GOP is made up of disinformers who have seized on issues like critical race theory to spread disinformation. And she was speaking at the City Club of Cleveland in uh, October of last year. Critical race theory has become one of those hot button issues that Republicans and other disinformers who are engaged in disinformation for profit, frankly, have seized on, she said. She placed blame on media outlets that are making money off of this critical race theory, too. Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, he announced her plan, his plans, for the agency to form this disinformation governance board only April 27th. I mean, it hadn't been very long. He told lawmakers the goal of forming it is to tackle misinformation, and disinformation against minority communities and in issues leading up to the 2022 midterm elections. So, despite Jankovic's criticism of the Republican Party, which represents half the nation, Mayorkas told CNN's Dana Bash she is absolutely neutral and eminently qualified in the field of disinformation. So, Our very own senator from Louisiana, one of our two, John Kennedy, and as I told going into the break, he has become pretty much a Mark Twain of this generation. Uh, I love to listen to him question people. He's a very nice guy when he does so. And day before yesterday, he had the director of Homeland Security in a committee hearing for the Senate, and he questioned Mr. Mayorkas about Nina Jankovic. Uh, I am in awe of Ms. Jankel. I have watched her with slack-jawed astonishment. Who picked her? Senator, the uh, Senator Kennedy, it's nice to see you as well. The Department of Homeland Security selected Ms. Jankowicz. Who at the department picked um, her? Senator, we, we don't discuss our hiring, our internal hiring processes, but I am the Secretary of Homeland Security, and ultimately I am responsible. 
When you, uh, when the department picked her, did did it know that she had said that Mr. Hunter Biden's laptop is Russian disinformation? Uh, Senator, uh, let me let me. Uh, repeat myself and add one uh, other fact. I was not aware of that. Uh, we do not discuss the internal hiring process. Ultimately, as the secretary, I'm responsible for the decisions of the Department of right. Homeland Security. When, when, uh, when the department picked Ms. Jankowicz, did it know that she had vouched for the veracity of the Steele dossier? Uh, Senator, let me um, repeat myself and add an, an additional fact. Um, uh, one, uh, we do not discuss uh, internal hiring processes. Two, I was not aware of that fact. Uh, three, as the Secretary of Homeland Security, I am responsible for the decisions of the department. And four, uh, it is my understanding that Ms. Jankowicz is a subject matter expert in the field for, in which she will be working on. I can tell. When, when the department picked her, was the department aware of her TikTok videos? Uh, Senator, um, uh, I Th was... They're really quite precocious. Um, uh, Senator, um, I was not uh, aware uh, of those videos. I, as a secretary, am responsible for the decisions of the department. Uh, the department does not discuss his internal hiring processes. Well, how will this DS, I'm sorry, this DGB work? For example, um, when President Obama, Obama said with respect to Obamacare, when he said, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Is that something that the DGB will investigate? Senator, the um, the working group that we named the Disinformation Governance Board uh, does not have operational authority and does not have operational capability. But there's a more fundamental principle uh, that really strikes at the question that you have posed. And that is that our mission is to protect the security of the homeland. And we address disinformation when it threatens the security of the homeland. For example, okay. Let me when, let me interrupt when, you, Mr. Secretary, because I don't have much time. I would I'd like to hear that example, and perhaps we can talk privately. Uh, I, I want to continue probing how your DGB will work. Um, when President Clinton was being investigated for having uh, an affair with a White House in, intern, and he said. I did not have sex with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. Is that something the DGB would investigate? Senator, again, let me be, be clear that the department's responsibility is to address disinformation that threatens the security of the homeland. And importantly, the working group was established because this disinformation work has been ongoing for nearly 10 years. The the working group was established precisely to protect against the infringement on individuals' First Amendment rights, precisely to protect yes. their right of privacy. Because can, can I ask you a couple more for I run out of time. I think the chairman may let me go over a minute. I hope he does. Um, 
Will, be, will the DGB be given its own police, its own enforcement powers? Senator, uh, as I have articulated, the working group does not have operational authority or capability. Its purpose is to make sure that the work that is underway in protecting the homeland that has been executed for nearly 10 years is done within guardrails according to policies and standards that ensure that that work does not infringe on people's fundamental First Amendment rights, right, right of privacy, civil rights, and civil liberties. Right. Yeah. The government's going to tell us what's true, what could possibly go wrong. Quite, Can I ask you is, one last question? Of course, is, and is, that is, is quite incorrect. Is that is the, quite incorrect. Is the DGB going to accept referrals from the public where people can call in? and say, I think uh, Senator so-and-so said something untrue, and I want you to subpoena him. Senator, it is so very important that I correct a misstatement uh, that you made that the, um, the Department of Homeland Security is going to be the truth police. That is the farthest thing from the truth. We protect the security of the homeland, and once again allow me to articulate what I have said previously, which is that the working group does not have operational capability and authority. It is to make sure that there are policies in place, standards in place, to protect the very rights about which you inquire. Mr. Chair Mr. Chairman, I'm, this will be my last comment. Mr. Mr. Secretary, I meant what I said. It is nice to see you, and I do think you're a nice man. But I would call in as soon as you get back to the office, uh, and I would ask that person who recommended Ms. Jankowicz to you, and I would fire him on the spot. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. After listening to that, I think I would uh, agree with the senator that Homeland Security Director Alejandro Mayorkas, whoever brought her into this conversation, needs to go. And speaking of that, I just thought I'd throw this in. Republican-led states, they're threatening legal action against Homeland Security and this new disinformation governance board Virginia Attorney General Jason Myers is leading GOP attorneys general in sending a letter to Homeland and demanding that that department cease taking action contributing to the chilling effect on free speech. This is an unacceptable and downright alarming encroachment on every citizen's right to express his or her opinions, engage in political debate, disagree with the government. 20 attorneys general in a letter they sent yesterday to Alejandro Mayorkas. It's going to be fun to watch this. We're running out of time, but there's something I wanted to get to uh, before we uh, before we get this going. But Jen Psaki is leaving. I'm sure you heard about it. Jen Psaki is leaving. She's going to go to MSNBC. And uh, she's being placed replaced by a stand-in that you see her at some of these press briefings at which Jen Psaki can't attend. Remember, she had uh, she had COVID-19. Actually, I think she had it three times, although she was double-vaxxed and boosted and all that kind of stuff. And a small, petite African-American girl, Kareen, I just went blank, Pierre LeBlanc, something like that, Pierre something. She has been named to be the replacement for Jen Psaki, which is no big deal. But they're facing a bit of a dilemma, a fresh dilemma, 
Corinne Jean-Pierre. She is married to Suzanne Malveaux, who is a so-called journalist. She serves as CNN's national correspondent, quote, covering national and international news and cultural events. That's according to our network biography. Well, Jean-Pierre and Malveaux met in 2012 at the Democrat National Convention in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they later adopted a child together. Critics say the new press secretary's marriage to a prominent CNN correspondent is an undeniable conflict of interest. And I just thought, with everything going on today, what a way to end the show by pointing that out. African-American spokesperson for the White House, first time ever, who is married to another woman, and that woman happens to work for CNN. What greater conflict of interest could anybody have than that? And so, folks, as we head into Mama's Day and the Kentucky Derby, let me encourage you, get with family this weekend. Honor your mothers. Have a great one.
on a day. 